Resistance Network, and today I have an exciting interview for you. I have a returning guest and a new guest returning to my program, Larkin Rose, who will probably be familiar to most of this audience, a uh, longtime anarchist advocate uh, fighting for real change and truth in the world, and he has his uh, particular way of doing that, and he's quite effective, and his latest effort to do that is turning his... Um, previously animated film, The Jones Plantation, into a full feature-length film with the help of the gentleman who's joining him here today, Andrew Treglid. Andrew, how are you doing? This is our first time chatting. What's up, man? Thanks for having us on. Thank you guys for both joining me. Larkin, it's been a couple years since we talked. Um, before we get into the film, anything you'd like to share maybe about, I know everything you're doing right now is obviously related to the film, but uh, what have you been up to in the last two years since we spoke? Well, I'm guessing a lot of it is related to this current film project here, but is there anything else you'd like to share about before we get into it? Yeah, a lot of it is the film. I actually, at the same time, wrote a novel version of it because there's things that don't belong in a movie that do belong in a book. Um, but mostly it's been in promoting the film all over the place. Um, and I'm thrilled with how it came out. But yeah, there's always five or six other projects going on in the background, but Right now, this is this is by far, I think, the most potent weapon might be a little bit overdramatic to use that word <laughs> weapon to get through to normal people to make them start to question things than than probably anything I've been a part of so far. So I'm thrilled about it. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get into it. Andrew, we, I don't know much about your background in terms of filmmaking or activism or really any of that. Would you like to share with everybody um, your your background, and then we'll get into how you became attached to the project with Larkin here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'm not never really been involved in activism, but um, I been working in uh, film. Well, not film, media production, post production uh, for over 15 years now. Um, I worked. I started out in Atlanta, then I worked in Los Angeles for years, and. Um, I had a film screen at the, uh, I did a, a documentary kind of like director for hire thing. I did a micro budget film. Then I did a documentary kind of director for hire thing in, uh, 2017, uh, that screened at the Egyptian theater in LA, which is, you know, it's like a big, woo. It was like the original red carpet theater. It was like, and it was like, wow, I'm here. But then I just, for some reason, I mean, i really appreciated it. It was an amazing evening and everything, but I was like, something just didn't feel right. And, um, I eventually end up, uh, for reasons, uh, that were personal, I end up moving here, to Arizona. And, um, then I worked for a while for this virtual reality company and I made a virtual reality experience for them and I ran their, their media. And, uh, then one day the guy came in, he's like, I can't pay any of you. And the whole thing tanked. We had, uh, we all had stock in it. We all thought we we're going to be millionaires and everything. And, um, it was really cool. I, I did a really cool, uh, the VRX I did was really cool and it won awards and all that stuff. But at that point I just quit doing it for three years and literally was working, uh, in Tempe in a warehouse running a forklift, um, just grinding it out like this grind job, which was, I actually was, uh, uh, at first I got really depressed, but then like, I don't know, six, seven months into it. Um, I realized like, okay, I'm going to be doing this for 30 years. Hopefully if I've lived that long, I don't have any interest in retiring. And I'm like, this is just going to be a blip in the career. That's just gonna be this little blip, this little two, three year blip. And, um, and that's when I really, at that point made the decision that I want to do the kind of work that I want to do. And literally I could, once you make a decision, like the old kind of quote, like 
burn the boats. I don't know if you've heard that one before. It's it's like I'm uh, not familiar with that one. Well, they use it for Seneca or for uh, I think it's Seneca, one of the Roman uh, uh, philosophers, and then they used it for Cortez. The story is that Cortez shows up on the shores of Mexico, and they're outnumbered, whatever they were, and everybody's like uh, scared to death, and he burned all the boats. Their own boats. Their own boats. So they so, couldn't return. So now you can't leave. So you, you fight and die, fight or die. So that's kind of like a, a metaphor for like, this is what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything else. In fact, the great independent director, John Cassavetti, once said, uh, you, you, once you fail at everything, you become an artist. And that's pretty much. And then once that happened, literally like, I mean, literally within months, this conference came up. Uh, the Anarchopoco conference came up. I went down there, met him, this guy interviewed him i've said this story a lot of times but in the interview which is on my youtube channel he i i said hey you know slavery back in the day was horrible it was brutal physically but i think today if you really look at it it's probably it's way more pernicious because they've convinced the people that they're free when in fact they're just mind controlled which is uh way more sustainable and harder way, obviously harder to see because with the, with, you know, normal slavery, you can see the change, you can see the whips, but this, you can't see the chains and whips. And so he's like, Oh, that's funny. I did this little animation called Jones plantation. You should check it out. And then we went back to the hotel and, and me and my AD, who was the AD on the film, my friend Doug watched it. And then we were flying home and I was like, that'd be a cool short film. And then he's like, we should do a feature. And then he happened to live in Arizona so I reached out to him and say, let's do this uh, thing as a feature film. And he said, yes. And here we are. Awesome. So well, I burned the boats and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been, you've been failing your way to something awesome, right? You said you yeah. were failing that. Well, now you found your way to this movement and really to these ideas. And it sounds like you already kind of had a grasp on them anyways on your own. And being able to apply your skills to the these concepts, I'm sure that feels good. Uh, Larkin, before we get deeper into the actual film, maybe you could give a kind of a summation of what the – uh, the, the animated film showed and what the whole story of Jones Plantation was originally before we talk about the film version. Yeah, so many years ago, I made the, the little animated thing and the plot, I mean, this is no secret. It doesn't count as a spoiler. The plot is that there's uh, old school slave plantation owner who's, you know, he whips the slaves and makes them work and they get rowdy and uppity and rebellious and and as people tend to do if you whip them too much. Um, and then he hears tell of this consultant of sorts that has a special, rather unorthodox way to make, uh, slave owners get a whole lot more out of their slaves while at the same time making them not at all rebellious, not, you know, you know, basically mentally enslave them. And the idea came to me because it's just, it's a cool little allegory to tell people basically what we have right now, but in a setting that's fictional sort of <laughs> that they can picture, oh yeah, that would, that would actually work if you had slaves and you were just, we own you, do what we say, or we whip you. And then if you fine tune that and got a lot more sophisticated and said, oh, well, we don't own you, but we represent you and we're all in this together and yada, 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 you know, the, the normal propaganda and indoctrination. And so the, the animated version is a lot shorter and simpler and it, you know, there's no time to get into characters. The whole thing is like 10 minutes long or something. Um, but that particular allegory has so much room to cover so many things uh, related to, to the world we're living in now 
that as soon as, you know, Andrew told me the idea about making a movie, I'm like, yeah, this and this and this. And you can include that. I think the first draft would have been like three hours long. So he's like, I like it. I'll make it way shorter um, because there's just there's so many things you can tell in the setting of a fictional, exciting story that will that can entertain people and make them go hmm without feeling personally attacked. Because like, as you know, as lots of people <laughs> who focus on these ideas know if you just go up to somebody and say, your worldview is completely screwed up and everything you think, you know, is wrong. Like most people don't <laughs> respond well to that. It's true, but they still don't respond well to it. So being able to use entertainment and allegory like this, I think is a very powerful way to get people to question those things that if you just, you know, smash into it head on, they tend to get defensive and go, no, it, it has to be this way. And they represent us. And you, basically they're, they're repeating their they're being mouthpieces for Mr. Smith, the consultant who teaches how to properly enslave people. If you really want to get the most out of them and make them not rebellious. Wow. So you, so Larkin, you were the, were you the principal writer for both the film? I mean, I know the animated film, but for the, the feature film too. Yeah. Now there were, there are pieces in it that, um, he wrote and that, uh, Lee Goldman, the guy who plays Mr. Jones, helped on. And we were, I mean, almost every scene was getting rewritten the day, the day before we were shooting it. But yeah, I was the the primary writer and it was it was a blast writing the the script for that. It's weird how fun it is. Maybe I'm like secretly a psychopath or something. It's weird how fun it is for me to write the evil propagandist point of view. Uh, which I sort of do in my my first book, How to Be a Successful Tyrant. It's describing, here's how you most effectively enslave people. And so, you know, while writing it, I'm like wincing because it's like, this will be really effective and it's horrible. I like how it came out. So it's a a weird process to to enjoy, you know, by way of this evil psychotic (laughs) villain, the the cleverness of his manipulations because Mr. Smith is a freaking genius. He's smarter than anybody there. The writing yeah. part is can often be the funnest part because when you're writing, you can do whatever you want. So just write. Don't you don't want to write and go? Oh, I don't have enough money for that scene. You just write whatever you want and write it out. It's it can it's most it has the least resistance. Um, but when we went into production, his script we had the shooting script. That's the blueprint, and the blueprint was solid. But then once you get on set and bodies show up and people show up and people's personalities show up. And the situation unfolds, um, you have to adjust. It's particularly when we're shooting with such a small budget that we have. You know, it's the old saying that being limited like we did required a ton of um, creativity. I think about like Cuba and how they have all these incredible old classic cars they're driving around and down there that they put together with bubble gum and scotch tape. Well, actually, they don't have scotch tape. They put together scrap metal and it's they look incredible and they take care of them. And it's just when you don't have anything that requires you to be creative and we had made a decision that there's no way we weren't going to win and get this thing done. So, you know, during the, during this shoot, we'd have to take the scene and go, okay, what is the most important things that we're trying to get across here and, and just strip it down to the bare essentials and then shoot that and never, ever um, always um, making sure that we, fulfill the message of the film in its original form yeah 
Yeah. I want to ask you, Andrew, in just a moment about some of the challenges of translating the script that Larkin put together into, you know, like the challenges of actually turning that into film. But uh, first, Larkin, if we haven't spelled it out yet, maybe you could just, uh, you know, get direct to the message of the film for anybody who might be hearing this who hasn't watched it or isn't familiar with your work, uh, the underlying message that is being conveyed through the, the allegory here. Basically, the, the the movie does something I've never seen any other movie do. Like, there's plenty of movies with a villain in it. Most of them aren't very convincing or realistic. Some of them are sort of realistic, but not really. I've never seen one that actually portrays specifically how actual tyrants come to power. Because they don't come to power by, like, cackling maniacally and wringing their hands. They come to power by saying, if you give me power, I'll protect you. I'll take care of you. I'll represent you. I'll do all these great things for you. And so it really, it, it spells out a lot. And it, it is a very concentrated dose, you know, from beginning to end. The, right. the amount of things we got in there of, of how it shows what they do in the real world. It includes democracy and letting people vote for their master so that they think they're in charge and they think they have some say in the matter. It includes the currency system. Um, it includes things like false flag and divide and conquer and fear mongering and all sorts of stuff. Um, I won't give too many specifics because some of them would count as spoilers, but it really shows the mentality of the actual people running the show um, and it, it sort of shows the setup where the, the people you actually see in, in, you know, on the TV screens, mostly they're just idiot puppets. They don't even really understand the game. They're just sort of, their strings are being pulled by somebody else. Um, but to be able to depict a whole bunch of the ways that tyranny actually happens by way of manipulating good people, because tyrants, you don't get, especially in this day and age where there's such a thing as firearms, you cannot have a huge, powerful authoritarian empire unless you can first trick the people into feeling loyal to it and feeling like it's legitimate, it's a proper authority, and we all must obey, and anybody who doesn't obey is evil, and, and yada, yada, yada. Most people have no clue how that happens. You know, they look at a history book, and they'll, they'll look at Nazi Germany, and they all go, how could this happen? Well, I can tell you how it happens. You might not <laughs> want to know. Because you're going to find out that it worked on you too, in a you know different way to a different degree, but but that's really what I want people to take from the movie is watch it and realize, oh yeah, that would totally work. It would probably work on me, and then I want them to wander out into their real lives and go, oh crap, it did work on me. This is it. That's why the tagline is, we all live on Jones Plantation. I want people to to notice. I mean, a lot of the parallels are pretty dang obvious, and some are more subtle. Um, but it it goes through a bunch of the ways that in real life, that is how power happy psychos get the support of good people, because without that, they're nothing. They have no power unless they can trick us into giving it to them. You know, I watched it last night. I watched the film last night. And, you know, again, congratulations to you guys and everybody involved and all the actors. It was uh, really well done. One of the my issues that I've had um, personally with um I don't know how to put it, but I guess liberty content, like let's say libertarian or anarchist who get into music or film or whatever, is that for my personal taste, sometimes it's just too on the nose. It's too direct. It's done in a way that isn't going to appeal to anybody outside of the, the circle. And I think that you guys did a pretty good job of making it just a film that if somebody comes across or is recommended that is entertaining to watch, you know, and, it, and it's paced well. 
and uh, obviously, like you were saying, Larkin, like all those messages, false flags, etc. Like the the comparisons are in there, and if you you can catch them, and then hopefully, like you said, the person turns and looks at the real world and is like, "Oh my God, this is happening." But either way, I thought it was done in a way where the messages are there, they're clearly there if you know, but it wasn't beating anybody over the head, which, again, I think that's something that people do a little bit too much. Um, was that a struggle to do, or is that something that you guys were cognizant of doing throughout the production? I was just about to bring this up, but it's so funny that you brought that up. That is, was, I, I, most of this crap, the content you see in like the Liberty space, or i I call it the human flourishing space. It's almost to me like um, religious content. You like religious music. God is an awesome God, like all that <laughs> stuff. So um, yeah, we just wanted to make a based entertaining film that people can watch first and foremost. And um, we wanted to make, you know, a, you, like I said, you can't go into a film to say, I'm going to make a cult classic, but we want to make a cult film in a sense that it would be a one-off. So whether you go into the film and you watch it, you love it, you hate it, you've never seen anything like it. And and also that it has bits of almost every genre. And that includes comedy. There's a lot of comedy in the film. And we had one of the characters to be mimetic. So each character is a, is a bit like it's heightened reality. It's a bit kind of larger than life. And that's why they all had basically the same costume on. If you watch The Matrix, you know, they all have the same costumes on and you see them in all these memes all over the internet. And we wanted the main characters, you know, to to... to to um to to portray like that so yeah we just want to make an entertaining film that anybody off the street can go in and watch and because you're not going to reach people just just preaching to the choir you know we needed to get in there and entertain them and have a good time and watch a great film and we were talking about this when we first started they might leave the film and right away they catch something and they might a week later go oh wait a minute that that was that or they might be you know a month later watching the television well whoa jones plantation that was kind of the idea. Yeah. So you nailed that one on the head. I was just thinking that before you said that. <laughs> and, you know, the control freaks have been using entertainment for decades and decades to spread their lies and manipulation. And the reason it works is if they make something entertaining. And now they seem to suck at that. <laughs> like it, it's turned so much into propaganda. Nobody even likes it. But they used to be better at it. Well, I mean, you, you look at a film like They Live. Yeah. Like it's kind of this corny B film, even though John Carpenter is a legend, but, but everybody's seen that film and it's awesome because of you obviously see the metaphor to the world we live in today. It's funny. I'm not saying this, but Berwick, Jeff Berwick's been doing a ton of, um, before this hurricane nonsense, but, 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 um, he's been doing a ton of promo stuff for us and talking about the film. And he said, this is the, they live of our generation. I don't know if that's true. I'm not saying that, but that was what he said. Um, so that's, but that's the kind of thing we want to do. We want to do, we're calling it the Vanguard film of the American dissident cinema movement. Don't know if we'll get that off the ground or not, but that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're saying. Yeah. Is. We're dissident. Somebody's got, somebody's got to be the first, right? So, yeah, that's right. I congratulate you on that. And like I said, it didn't, I didn't come away with that same sense of, cause I also make music. I know you do as well, Larkin. And sometimes, you know, I appreciate everybody's creative expression, like more power to you, yeah, but sometimes I'm hearing certain things. That I'm just like. Yeah, like you said, it comes off evangelical or just like, I don't know, in a way that is not appealing. Yeah, it's not necessarily appealing to my particular taste, but, you know, obviously some people it does. But um, and while we're talking about music, Larkin, I know that you and uh, your partner Amanda are both involved in music. Did you guys write the soundtrack or were you all involved in that? 
a little bit of my music is in there. <laughs> that, that was a bit of a drama thing. Yeah. Because I basically did write an in, entire soundtrack, but then the director, I won't mention his name, decided to go in a different direction. <laughs> and he's the director. Like I knew from the beginning, well, it's not up to me. Oh, well. Well, we did. There's four, there's five songs in there that he did. And one of them is in the right oh. place. <laughs> yeah, but they're moved around. They moved, is one of them in the right place? Which one? Uh, the one where Samuel's wandering through the woods. Oh, that's right. The yeah, creepy that's one. Right, that's right, it's right, the right. only one yeah, in the right yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I felt like listening to, and maybe, I don't know which particular parts, but I'd be curious. I felt like listening to some of the scents throughout there. I was like, I can see Larkin and Amanda playing the, some of these songs or performing <laughs> some of them. So that's cool. And uh, uh, Andrew, let's talk about this, the script then, because you know Larkin comes in with a three-hour film idea and all the different references he loves and everything. And I'm sure you're like, we got to trim this down a bit. And even then, when you get to the script, you guys said you're doing rewrites and such. So obviously, you're kind of doing some of it um, on the fly as, as you feel out everybody's personalities and everything you mentioned. But what were the biggest challenges of taking these big ideas and making it again, a film that people actually want to watch and not just like a lecture? Well, when the writing process, he wrote the, the first version of the script and then we played past the baton back and forth, back and forth. And because Larkin's a great writer, everybody knows that, but this is, I think your first screenplay, right? Yeah. So it's just a whole different genre, a whole different, I mean, a whole different medium. And um, the biggest challenge there's an old saying, you never have the writer on set. <laughs> but I was glad that. he was there. I was glad he was there. But um, the biggest challenge was getting him to, because we, there was so much dialogue because he's used to writing books. Yeah. And it's a visual medium. So we were stripping pages and pages of dialogue. I said, look, you know, this two line says everything you want to say there. And um, he was having a hard time with it because he had, because, you know, to, to to really know it, you've got to make a few films, just even a few short films, and you see, oh yeah, that doesn't work, or this works, and you you know, and I've written tons of scripts and shot stuff, and you know, I've seen the results. And I will say, in all the ways that you butchered my script, I'm glad that all happened because I, like you said, I'm used to writing books and novels and stuff. I'm not used to making a movie. And so even the one thing I yelled at you on, on set about, that was still the right move to make. And that's why, like, you're the director and I'm not because I don't I'm not used to thinking in that setting. I'm used to, to writing books. And that's why I then went and wrote the book version. But all of them, including ones that initially I was like, oh, don't do that. I hate that idea. Now I'm like, actually, I like that idea now. Um, yeah, to his credit, I mean, once he saw the film, he literally made a video and he said, not only was he, was it not, he goes, not only was he right about the stuff that he did, but it's actually way better than it originally would have been. So, yeah, by a lot. Yeah, so that's, and that's why it really, it's worked because we've always been like that. You know, we we push for what we want and then we're honest about what works. And that's why I think it's worked. You know, it's not like, there's definitely a little bit of pride and ego. You don't do these kind of mountain climbs unless you've got that in you, but. Yeah, and I knew I had to be like second fiddle, as they say, like, the director has the final say if, if, you know, if you're going to argue about everything, if he says, this is how it is. Oh, well, I can grumble in the back. We only had one main incident. That was the one you killed. And I go, I didn't even want to argue. I said, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Fire out my script. You're out of here. Yeah. I can imagine. I can imagine that um, Larkin, that kind of um, just having to 
you know, deal with the, the ego stuff, even not for anybody with a big ego, but just that you're invested in the script you put together. Oh, no, he's got a big ego. Trust me. He's got a big ego. <laughs> yeah. Trust yeah. me. <laughs> but, you know, just that challenge, uh, again, like as a writer, I've never, I, I've written like yourself several different styles of books, but never a specific screenplay. So I know that walking into that environment, it would just be a totally different challenge that uh, you just got to go through, I guess. So that's, that's interesting to hear that. And I'm glad that Andrew, you guys were able to find some, some balance between each other and, and I mean, I'm curious about the, was there anything different, um, Andrew, that you've done for this film as opposed to any other work you've done when it came to casting the actors? Yeah, because this, we, we, when we, when we, um, no, let me be clear. The feature film thing is like the, the jewel of the crown. I mean, I've only done three. One was a micro budget film and, and, uh, one was a kind of a budgeted documentary, but it was more of a director for hire thing, even though, I mean, I put my heart and soul into it and it was a great experience, but I didn't have a, a big dossier of feature films. So, which was really cool of him. He's like, I've said before, he trusted me right away and um, let me do my thing. I forgot what was the original question. <laughs> was this something different? Oh, casting. Yeah. Casting. So this was, <clears throat> we met in February of 2020. So this was right before all the COVID stuff. And I was going to do this film SAG uh, Ultra or SAG Low Budget because the union owns all the actors. And it, and I and I know a couple, I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, I actually know a couple guys that would work on the film that have done some, I mean, one guy in particular was going to play Samuel, who's been a lot of stuff. But then I got a call from the union uh, and they're like, okay, well, yeah, you're going to do SAG Low Budget. You, 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 prepared for your COVID protocols. I was like, what? And they're like, you're going to have to have a COVID commissar on set. And they're going to, you're, everybody's going to be in a mask. You're going to have to direct in a mask. And then you're going to have to test everybody every day. And if somebody pops a positive, well, they've got to leave the set for 14 or 17 days or something like, whoa, what? And so basically what they did was they shut down or they were trying to shut down independent productions because a studio can shut down for 14 or 17 days. No big deal to them. Or if the DP tests positive, he goes and stays at a hotel for 14 days and they bring in somebody else. But for us, once we start shooting, there's no turning back and there's no stopping. I don't, I don't have, we don't have the budget to stop. Yeah. That would. So been the that end. was it. I mean, if we, somebody tests a positive, my actor it's over. So we had to go back to the drawing board and um, I cast everybody except for Mr. Jones, legal man online. And I never met any of them in person. I basically um, just got basically each one of them had an hour long phone call or so and just gave them the vision of what we were doing and met them on set. We did no rehearsals and just off we ran. And uh, I said before, and I, I can't stand when um, I don't personally like when directors tell me how great their actors were, but I, I just between you make your own decision on this. I subjectively think that, uh, that we really hit it out of the park with the cast. I mean, I couldn't, I can't believe how blessed we were with the cast and they knew what we were doing when we got there. They kind of knew what we were up to. And, um, and we didn't get any crazy COVID weirdos, you know, or somebody come in and I tested positive. We got to shut the set down. So we got, and it was freezing. Like yeah, we, in I Mississippi. Was, every day I was walking on eggshells like, Oh God, is somebody going to test this COVID test thing? And, but so, somehow we got through it. The funniest thing is I'm the one who got well, last week. I got, terribly sick yeah and i was just chugging um nyquil and coffee all day long and hiding it i didn't tell anybody i mean these guys knew but you could tell <laughs> yeah I, I laid low on it and um i don't know somehow miracle we got through it 
Yeah. And it was only a 17 day shoot. And like the second half was outdoors in Mississippi in 20 degrees in drizzling rain half the time. Drizzling, pouring rain and, and the wind chill. Yeah. And we were on a, we were in a open plain field in a, <laughs> And a church built the 1700s with like holes in the wood. Like yeah, it was you could see through the walls. It so was not- <laughs> wicked cold. You, there's a couple scenes in there where they're pledging and you can see the cold air coming out. And those poor actors, they had to dress in those goofy like slave outfits that are like, there's nothing to them. Not well insulated. No, so we have, they'd, have to, they'd be like in winter clothes. And then we go, all right, get, get in, get in the scene. And they would throw their winter clothes off enough to sit there for like, 20 minutes, yeah. half an hour, freezing to death. So I was the only one who didn't wow. have a winter coat there at all. So I'm just in that stupid shirt the whole time. And, and I never, so. for some reason, never bought rain boots. I don't know why I never went to Walmart and <laughs> bought rain boots, but the entire time I stood with like frozen feet. I had other stuff to focus yeah. on. Yeah. You never would have noticed the, that the, the actors were shivering from freezing temperatures. So you guys did a good job covering that. Larkin was the uh, was your uh, I guess this is a spoiler your your surprise appearance guest appearance there was that a reference to Irish slaves? Yeah, I was an Irish indentured servant. Um, <laughs> my job was just to glare at people. There's one of the things that was in the original script. I mean, there were a million because, like I said, it was the original would have been three hours long. Is it gets more into Smith actually talks to Mister Jones about the difference between the indentured servants and the slaves. And the indentured servants think, oh, I'm in a much better position. It's like, yeah, but you're kind of in the same position, at least for now. Um, but yeah, things changing. And <laughs> just my role was just to glare at people in the background, which was fun. But like, and just getting to be in the room for some of the scenes, like the 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 Charles scene with the mask, that was that was amazing to be in that room because the actors were good enough that it felt real. And it was kind of traumatic just standing in there like, Whoa, yeah, this is, this is convincing standing here. So hopefully on film, it'll be convincing too. So I was mostly a spectator, but it was fun to do that. Well, the one thing with his character though was important not to cut you off that we were putting little tidbits in that this is not about race. Yeah. This is not about race. And then the other thing we were talking about with sort of just like, you need little miracles to know that you're on the right path. And that scene he's talking about with the mask was like the biggest, that was the first miracle. I'm like, okay, we got something here because it was, we had like 40 minutes till, till dark. When we started shooting it. And we had to just, we said, okay, the DP was like, let's just run it handheld. I go, let's go. We haven't done any handheld scenes. It's perfect. Yeah. And I said before the first take, I said, if we get this freaking scene in one take, we did the whole scene in the take. I said, it's a miracle. And then it, you don't have me on, uh, I'll tell you, but you don't have me on tape as soon as we got that. But I was like, cut. And I was like, it's a effing miracle. And everybody was like, Jan, it was great. It's a moment. What, what made it extra ridiculous is the guy who pays Mr. Jones has never acted before. Um, Legalman or Legalman or whatever. He has a podcast called The Quash. So he's like one of the few people who actually like knew who I was and knows about these principles and stuff. Um he and I sort of wrote that scene on the drive in that morning that, that, cause he delivers a lot of that scene. And so that wasn't even finalized and finished until like we arrived on set and he was just amazing in his delivery and the, you know, the DP and the filming of it and the lighting of it was like, yeah, but the, the number of miracles that had to happen just for that one scene. Yeah. And then uh, how many other miracles for the rest of it? including the last scene where the sun is like going down, like uh, all the actors are leaving tomorrow. I hope we can film this stinking scene. Yeah. So. I mean, that whip scene, we were like, well, how are we going to do this whip scene? How are we do this? Well, the guy, 
there was a puddle happened to be in front of the tree and the guy, I don't want to give this one away. I don't want to give this one away. This is a secret one. The guy that whipped him wasn't actually Everybody act- plugged their ears. Well, yeah, no, but he, he, <laughs> he went and actually got the, the whip in the water. And so when he went to whip him, it went whoosh. Yeah. And we're like, Oh man. And the water went everywhere. We're like, all right, we got it. Let's go. That was like, cause I was so stressed about that scene. Like how the hell are we going to pull this? Yeah. Off? With like no time to spare. Yeah. And- well, again, congratulations guys on, on the film and getting it out. I know now you're in promotion mode and you, uh, Larkin, you guys have been traveling around, uh, doing screenings. Let's tell everybody how to get it. Jonesplantationfilm.com. Um, I know it's for sale. You've got Director's Cuts Edition. And do you all have any events coming up that you all like to promote? Any more screenings that people can check out? Well, we're going to be screening in L.A. Go ahead. I'll cut you off. Yeah, well, I was about to say the same thing anyway. Is we're like in the process of planning when the L.A. official premiere is going to happen. But we don't have the exact date yet. But it's probably going to be like first week or so in December. Uh, We're locking that down this week. And that's going to be our like big premiere. We're going to red carpet. We're going to have limos. I don't know. know. Be all fancy. We'll have a limo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's going to be our premiere. We'll probably throw a big party afterwards. We never did a crew party at the end of the shoot because the way things worked out. And so, yeah, that's going to be in December. So if anybody's in LA, wants to come in LA, we'll be putting that out and let people know. And in the meantime, we're just doing a million interviews everywhere we can. The fact that right now, podcasters combined have way more audience than the entire mainstream media is really handy if you're trying to promote something actually independent and different. Yeah, the podcasts are huge, and we really appreciate you having us on. Cause yeah. You, it's at jonesplantationfilm.com exclusively right now. Uh, it's cheaper there. Uh, we are in the process of launching it to all the big global platforms, you know, Amazon and Apple TV and all that stuff. But you, you'll get it cheapest at jonesplantationfilm.com, and it's there exclusively. Now, we wanted to get it to our audience first, and then we're going to expand it out. So we're in the process of doing that right now, but. Awesome. Well, definitely everybody go pick it up. I'll put that link below, jonesplantationfilm.com. I bought a copy last night to support, but everybody go over to jonesplantationfilm.com. I do recommend, again, there's the basic version of the film. They've got director's cut. And Larkin, are you guys looking to do more uh, events? Like if somebody wanted to contact you all to try to do a screening, would you travel there? What's the situation with that? It it depends on timing and budget. Like I, I think I have like eight interviews to do this week. Um, and then we have to figure out when the LA thing is going to do. So I would say don't completely bet on it, but yeah, we're still promoting it in every way we can. And it depends. Like it's a lot easier. Like I was just up in Denver where some friends of mine did all the effort to set the thing up. And then I was there. That makes it a whole lot easier because our massive team is basically us and like two other people. So if someone's like, hey, can you, uh, you know, arrange a screening over here? Probably not because <laughs> we're doing a million things already. But if somebody is able to do, do the work and put in the time and like let us know ahead of time and then we'll we'll see if it actually works to, to find some arrangement. Um, but we are so overtaxed to use that term. Just trying to keep up with the things we have because we still don't <laughs> still don't have a budget. Oh, and the DVDs are are on their way to coming out soon. Don't have an exact date. Yeah, that's been a whole other can of yeah. worms. Those are not easy to make anymore. Getting DVDs done. Yeah, so million things going on. But yeah, my email is larkin at larkinrose dot com. If somebody is actually willing to put in an effort, try to set up a screening, let us know, and we'll see if we can make it work. We can see if we can come up with an arrangement. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for your time. Everyone, please do visit the website. I'll link it below. 
And uh, if you don't mind, comment in this video and encourage Larkin to come down to Mexico for the Greater Reset. And you guys can screen it there in person as well in January if you decide to. Uh, but other than that, thank you for joining me today. Larkin, thanks for all the things you do to promote true freedom and for Andrew for working with him to bring this vision to life because I think it, it's definitely going to be another uh, another great, uh, you know, another tool in our toolkit to try to wake up people and get more people to think about things like that. So I, I fully uh, support the effort and you guys pulled it off. It's not overly uh, in your face with the message or in a corny way or any kind of thing like that. It's, it's done really well. So thank you again for your time. Thank right, you. Thanks, man. All right, everybody. Till next time. Remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Peace.